Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Fatal Attraction. A married man's one night stand comes back to haunt him when that lover begins to stalk him and his family. An all time cable classic. Yeah, I can't believe I've never seen this. I mean, same? Yeah, like I, I know why. I'm of separate minds about this movie in that it is a banger, mm -hmm. and it is also problematic. Mm, not great. It's of its time. Yes, that, that's the part that's not great. Right. I just... Okay, the, the thing that makes this movie so good, though, is the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. No one person has the exact right point of view, but... Each of the individual people involved here are doing such a good job mm -hmm. that it's adding up to a really great movie. Yeah. Despite valid criticism at most of the parts. Sure. I mean, it's not a great movie for women, but I think I feel like that's kind of the point. It, it isn't. And at the same time, it is in a strange way. Like, no, it's... You know, thinking in the in the true meta narrative, and this movie has been the subject of like full academic criticism. Sure, and it I I think it's rife for that. Uh, right, it's so many things like, and they I feel like they do a really good job of being like he's the asshole. He is just a straight up asshole. And then like you you give her enough nuance. I I feel like they do a good job of giving her enough nuance that you could be like, well, she's like you know maybe she's being a little clingy, but then it keeps doubling down and like oh this has gone on this has gone way too far this is way too much the the only thing that i really don't like is that because of the way they keep pushing the limit with her is that there's a point where the whole audience just goes oh well she's wackadoo mm -hmm. so there's there's no coming back from that there's no trying to you get to a point where you just you're no longer care about whatever is going on in alex's perspective because whatever she's doing is just bad and wrong and there there, there are definitely lines crossed where you're like this is bad and wrong i don't care what's happening this is bad and wrong um but if there had been more nuance it i think it would have been more interesting but at the same time it's just like we don't often see this story where the woman is pursuing the man yeah, I think the other part of it is, let's go ahead and spoil the notes here. That's mostly to do with our lead actress and the preparation that she put into the role. That's fair, but I, there's there's definitely writing here that is very good. There's good writing from a structural standpoint, but all of that nuance that you talk about, mm -hmm. and I'm saying this because of the trivia, Okay, that nuance came from our, our leads. Well, that's great. I mean, that's awesome. Well, and I think mostly it has to do with that. They wrote a really compelling thriller. Mm -hmm. Neither our writer or our director really had thought through some of the deeper exploration and mechanics okay. of what that would mean. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm okay with all that. Right. Yeah. I think part of that is just uh, a versioning where, you know, as, as a writer, you're like, oh, I see this level. And then you give it to someone else and they see like, oh, I see your level, but I, I'm going to add this level to it. And then you give it to other people and they're like, oh, well, I saw this because you're bringing to it 
all these other perspectives. This is why diversity is important. And I've heard talk about the television series that's come out recently. Mm-hmm. It's gotten it's gotten mostly mixed reviews. I think they lean really heavy into the psychological aspect of it. And sometimes, sometimes from what critics say to the point where it's muddling things even more. Well, I, I don't think all the episodes have been released. So there's that mm. at, at, as of the recording of this. And also that story, while it's based on that, it's going to go a lot farther. Yes. Because I, I, you can tell from the trailer for that show that Dan is in prison. Yes. So he's he's going to have to answer for killing someone. We don't know if in this adaptation it's Alex or maybe it's his wife or whatever. Well, we'll talk. There's some uh, there's some potential variations on what we saw <laughs> to okay. what could have been made. Okay. Well, I really like it. I really like this movie. Um, I will say that the one thing I said when we were getting to the end I was like, you know, what's interesting is that this is the shit. Like this this movie clearly makes men terrified. Oh, believe me, makes men terrified to step out on their wives. It was it was a cultural moment. This movie was. Even as much as a a just pure movie experience, and but but here's the thing: men do this shit to women all the fucking time, and nothing happens to them. Yeah, that's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. And and well, that is the one thing that I loved about him going to the cops, and they're like, "We can't do anything. We can't do anything." And you're like, "Yeah," because they don't do anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. It's an incredibly smart reversal. Yes. That it, it's one biggest problem is when it was made and yeah. the attitudes and notions around certain things like this. Sure. And I don't I don't say that in a way where anybody's being overly just in your face terrible about things. It's just mm-hmm. the casual ignorance of the time period to mental health issues and to gender politics. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with this movie. And that alone doesn't tank it in any way. So it's, <laughs> spoiler alert, you should watch this movie. It's real good. Mm-hmm. All right. The budget for this movie was about $14 million. That's $37 million in today's money. Okay. It grossed $156,650,000 in the US. Wow. That's $415 million. So it multiplied its profit by more than 10 times Mm -hmm. just in the u.s globally it made 320 million dollars or about 850 million Mm. it made it the highest grossing film globally of 1987 wow but only the second highest in the united states okay i will give you three guesses to the number one film of 1987 and i need you to think Real dumb. Dumb. Okay, 1987. I'm trying to think of what else would have come out that year. And dumb. That means it's probably a kid film, right? A child may be involved. Uncle Buck. Wrong. Guess number two. Okay. But am I on the right track? Sort of. Again, big clue. A child and some other people are involved. Is it child's play? No. Okay. Both of those movies did not come out in 1987. But I don't remember. They were 80-something. Hey, you're making good guesses. They're 80-something. Uh, perhaps there may have been a set number between, directly in between two or four other people. Oh, A Fish Called Wanda? 
Oh, I tried so hard. It was three men and a baby. Oh, that is good. That was a movie I watched way too many times as a child. (laughs) I need to revisit that one. That is the only movie that beat Fatal Attraction in the United States box office. I understand because families could see that. Like, kind of. It's a little weird. Like, you could take... I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. But I could imagine you could take your mid-elementary age kids to that movie and it wouldn't be a problem. And you could not take them to Fatal Attraction. Now, our producers did have a lot of difficulty... Getting a green light. Fair. This is a tough movie to sell to a studio. Now, I don't think they understood how deeply this was going to resonate because this is a date night movie that then turns into a wife dragging the husband to be like, you're watching this fucking movie. Mm. Producer Sherry Landons and Stanley R. Jaffe also had issues finding a leading man. Uh, but James Dearden, who is our writer, who we'll get into in a little bit, uh, he wanted to write and direct this movie, and he wanted Michael Douglas for the lead role. Mm-hmm. Now, Douglas had worked with some less experienced directors more recently and was like, I don't want to go through that again. Michael Douglas apparently felt more comfortable with an experienced hand. Mm-hmm. So they called none other than Brian De Palma, who we may have a bad experience with. Mm-hmm. But in 1987 is probably the perfect choice to make this movie. Okay. Like erotic thriller, that's his jam. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is what he does. Now he agreed to do it, but he wanted to replace Michael Douglas. Okay. We got a showdown. <laughs> Fortunately, maybe for us, mostly for Michael, Lansing and Jaffe were loyal to him. Um, partially because he was the first star who had actually said he'd be willing to take the role. Mm-hmm. And also because he had production experience. Our only time we've talked about Michael Douglas was as producer of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. He was a producer before he ever became an actor. So he, he could helm this. like He could give them the help to really push this movie through. So they released Brian De Palma. And with Brian De Palma being such a big deal, they were terrified that Paramount was going to cancel the film. Mm-hmm. And instead, Paramount said, you know what? We believe in the project, so they only delayed it, and they only wasted about 10 weeks of time working out, figuring out how they were going to get everything else together. But there's a good chance this movie might have never gotten made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This one went through some weirdness, and that is partially because of our writer. Now, I'm not saying that it didn't get made because of him, but that is part of the difficulty, because our writer, James Dearden, wrote the screenplay, but also the short film on which this is based. And this is his debut feature. Mm -hmm. After this, he wrote A Kiss Before Dying, Rogue Trader, Belle de Seigneur, and Christmas Survival. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot. What do we think of this brand new writer? I mean, we kind of have to judge it a little bit based on its time. Of course. But I think it's it's a really compelling story. Um, You know, especially since they made it, uh, it's an erotic thriller. Mm-hmm. So that it's not, you know, it's a thriller and that like, we don't know what's going to happen. It's going to keep you, it's going to be suspenseful, but there's a lot of sex and that's fine. I don't feel like any of the sex is gratuitous. So that's also nice because you don't always see that. There's a lot of times you're just boobs in movies for no reason. Oh, for sure. I mean, we like boobs. We like butts. We like it all. But that's just, just sometimes they're not necessary. Like, what did this add to the story? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> it's incredibly and- important to this story specifically. 
yeah it 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 makes complete sense and so well is it perfect no (laughs) there's a nuance that could be added like on the page sure could we sympathize more with alex uh more throughout the tension and like and then like before like the last couple of quote-unquote incidences we kind of go oh no 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 we can there's no there's no more sympathy for this person sure that's pretty good it's pretty good well i think at the end of the day it's like we can we can fault him for the specific issues but at the end of the day he wrote a really good suspense thriller yeah like the edits are really edits i wouldn't change the story i wouldn't change the story beats it's some dialogue and a little bit of sequencing, maybe. That's it. And like none of it we'll get into there's there's a debate about the original ending here, which we're not gonna talk about until we get down the road a little bit. But again, when you're looking at a movie like this, the starting point was never, you know, deeply delving into each of these characters. It's not mm-hmm. a character study. It is it and always was. We're going to take a stalker tale and flip it on its head Mm -hmm. with the caveat that it's pulling heavily. And I I put this here. It's pulling heavily from play Misty for me, Mm -hmm. um, which is a a Clint Eastwood and Jessica Walters movie where Jessica Walters is stalking Clint Eastwood, a radio DJ. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of similar conceptual and story elements. They do have an affair in that film. Though I don't know if it's the same sort of like he's a happily married man type thing. And there's also a moment in the movie where Jessica Walters gives Eastwood a pair of says to Clint Eastwood's character, it's Madam Butterfly time. Mm-hmm. So like there's there's a lot of stuff he's pulling from that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think he, what he did was he took some of those concepts. He said it in a real contemporary setting. I just said, we're just going to write a really solid thriller. Mm-hmm. That's what he aimed for. He didn't try to go any deeper with that. And I think that's okay. I think what's really interesting is how much was added onto it in different ways from different people mm-hmm. versus him having this whole vision for himself. Like if he was the one directing this movie, I doubt it would be this quality. Mm-hmm. Because everybody else had their own specific thing they brought to the table that really elevated it. Otherwise, it would just be a boring movie. Oh, yeah. So I I think at the end of the day, he just gave everybody a really good springboard. Mm -hmm. And it's a solid thriller. And, you know, if I read this in a book, I'd be like, hey, this is a really cool book that I read. And okay, I'm moving on with my life. Yeah. Which is pretty good for that kind of story when you want to read one. Now, many armchair psychiatrists at the time diagnosed Alex with something called Clarembo syndrome or erotomania. Uh, this is a very old, outdated psychiatric idea of a woman being delusional about a romance with a person because of their high social status or fame, possibly from subliminal messages of unrequited love. Mm. It's some bullshit. Yeah. More recently, and, and in different analyses, a lot of people suggest more that she suffers from psychopathy because of her lack of empathy and fear of consequences. We'll talk about some of that. It, it It's really interesting. And again, it touched off a lot of conversations about how mental health is portrayed in films. Mm-hmm. It was really a huge moment. I think there's a handful of people, especially, you know, our, our lead actress, mm-hmm. really wanted to dive into that. 
But I also think many, many people saw this and were like, wow, this is horrible and we have got to fix this shit. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think both are true. Yeah. That at the end of the day, someone was trying to get that across, but also the movie is so much of its time that it's not willing to go there. Mm -hmm. And I can't fault that for anything other than that was society in 1987. Sure. It's just its own weird moment. I do specifically, uh, one specific note that everybody brought up and I did not even think about. During the second call over the phone, Alex says, I'm great with animals and I love to cook. <laughs> what a good line. That's great. I didn't even notice that. I heard good. I, I remember being a good cook. I do not remember great with animals. It's really interesting. There are a lot of little subtle tells throughout <laughs> in foreshadowing. And... It's really interesting how many little mystery elements they throw in there. Mm -hmm. As well, Madam Butterfly is a huge part of the story arc itself, it, the actual story of Madam Butterfly, uh, because Chocho San, the lead character in Madam Butterfly, marries an American and bears his child, but he will not love her forever and leaves her for an American wife, and she mm -hmm. commits suicide. Okay. And again, that may tie into some other things we know about how this movie might have wrapped up. <laughs> we have a couple of what titles could have been better. Oh, okay. The original project title from Dearden was Diversion, which does not work for a movie, but mm -hmm. if this was a book, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. She was a diversion. Okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and then a really crappy one is Affairs of the Heart. Bar. That's a lifetime romance. Yeah. No, thank you. Fatal Attraction's great. It's very good. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's talk about our director. Okay. Man by the name of Adrian Lin. Okay. Before this, he directed Foxes, Flashdance, and Nine and a Half Weeks. After this, he directed Jacob's Ladder, Indecent Proposal, 1996's Lolita, Unfaithful, and deep water. Mm. I will note that the 1996 Lolita has been noted by the lead actress who played Lolita as being very damaging to her. Okay. Lynn is... Uh, he is this weird merger of kind of a sleazeball, but also weirdly sensitive. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Look, the man's whole thing for most of his films, is that he really, really likes to tell erotic stories. Yeah. Like, that's that's what you bring him in to do. And you look at these movies and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Other than Jacob's Ladder, which is all about, like, hallucinations. Yeah. You know, I, again, this is that whole sum of its parts thing, where if you didn't have a really solid baseline to work from, I don't know what this guy would do. It's real weird. It's a very different kind of directing style because he's willing to put the camera anywhere in a scene. Yeah. He does some wild ass shots that I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I what I should have expected from it, but I did not expect some like real slasher horror movie camera techniques in this movie. Mm -hmm. And he does them, But then like he'll do them in the sex scenes, mm -hmm. which is real. It's he just he's a wild card in how he thinks about that. But I think, he, you know. It's it's really interesting, and I, I do think it keep at the very least, it keeps you off kilter the entire time while you're watching it. I do think he keeps the camera moving. I think you're right with that. But 
I feel like he didn't shoot it like a thriller, which is, is not a bad thing. I think that actually works really well because it's really more of just like, it's just like, oh, this dude's going to shoot on his wife. And oh, this is, things are getting tense. So it doesn't feel so much like a thriller. It, it, I don't know. I think he kept it dark, which I liked. And they did kind of do the slightly voyeuristic thing, which I also like. I thought that was good. Yeah, it, it very much is like you're watching this behind closet curtains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you shouldn't be seeing this, which just adds to the whole ambiance. The interesting thing is the moments where it shouldn't be, where it should just be plain and normal is when he kind of gets frantic. And the moments where it is genuinely scary is when he films it almost like just a straight dramatic scene. I mean, you think about that moment where you really get the turn from Alex when she gives the line. I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. And it's, it's just filmed like a straight scene. He just knows, I don't have to do anything here. The actors have everything. It's a very weird directing style. I'll say that. (laughs) Now, he had some interesting ideas about the sex scenes. Oh, really? Oh, really? Uh, He didn't want them to be in a bed, quote, because it's so dreary. And I thought about the sink because I remembered I once had sex with a girl over a sink way back. The plates clank around. You'll have a laugh. You always need to have a laugh in a sex scene, unquote. And this is where I go. It's like, yeah, he's kind of a dirtbag, but he's also right. (laughs) Yeah. While they filmed the that whole sequence he shouted he shouted at the couple the entire time praising them for their work as they were filming mm-hmm. quote if they know that they're turning you on it builds their confidence unquote okay weird flex but all right man you got the shots uh and he did use a handheld camera so quote so there was no problem with the heat going out of the scene unquote this man writes a very fine line between directing a good sex scene and getting way too excited about a sex scene. hmm Yeah. Now, who could have been better? I don't have all the names here, but there are apparently 20 different directors who turned down this film. Okay. Brian De Palma being one of them who actually wasn't turned down, but they parted because of business reasons. hmm Tony Scott. Oh, okay. I don't think so. He's an action guy. Yeah. He went, He decided to do Beverly Hills Cop 2 instead. John Borman, who I don't know a whole lot about his movies, but he was wanting to make a movie of his own personal memoir, Hope and Glory. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a pretty okay decision. But here's one I, I, I'm not... John Carpenter. Okay. What do you think about John Carpenter making this movie? It's a little weird. I can't decide if I love it or hate it or both. Mm-hmm. I think... It would be interesting. I think he would he would probably film this more as a horror film. He really would. I mean, he not, would. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's just different. Well, and that's the primary reason he turned it down. He really saw it as just a rehash of Play Misty for me. Okay. Because he comes from the horror. Sure. That is probably the key difference between this and Play Misty for me. Play mm. Misty for me is a horror movie. Yeah. It's a stalker horror just with a lot of interesting brains behind it. Mm-hmm. This is not. And I think a lot of that has to do partially with our director. He didn't make it a horror movie specifically mm-hmm. because it could have been. It really easily could have been. So yeah, I I think he's right in being like, why would I make a horror movie that's already been made? Whereas Adrian Lynn was like, this isn't a horror movie. This is a thriller. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. Well, now let's talk about the real flavor in this movie. And that is our cast. Who I got to say are all outstanding. 
Oh, our cast is awesome. So fucking good. Mm -hmm. We start with the real star of the show, Michael Douglas as Dan Gallagher. No, he's not the real star of this movie, but he was top build. Because, you know, he's getting the movie made. Now, we have never talked about him as an actor. Okay. We have only discussed him as a producer. Okay. So, before this, he did a lot of small roles. He was on the streets of San Francisco on TV for many years. Mm -hmm. Then he got his movie start. Coma, The China Syndrome, Romancing the Stone, The Jewel of the Nile, and A Chorus Line. After this... Wall Street, Black Rain, The War of the Roses, Basic Instinct, Falling Down, Disclosure, The American President, The Game, A Perfect Murder, Wonder Boys, Traffic, One Night at McCool's, Don't Say a Word, The In-Laws, The Sentinel, Yumi and Dupree, Ghosts of Girlfriends, Past, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, Haywire, Behind the Candelabra, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Avengers Endgame, The Kaminsky Method on TV, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Coming soon... He's going to be in Reagan and Gorbachev playing Reagan. Mm. And he's going to be in a series called Franklin in which he will play Benjamin Franklin. Hey. What do we think of Michael Douglas in this movie? He's, he's just awesome. Holy shit. Okay. I have to point this out. He was filming Wall Street at the exact same time as this movie. What? Yeah. Now it works out fine because he's in New York. Mm-hmm. But to avoid conflicts, he alternated between sets during the week. Wow. So he'd film, he'd film Fatal Attraction, then he'd go over and work with Oliver Stone on Wall Street. Talk about the range of this man. Mm-hmm. From Gordon fucking Gecko yeah. to this guy. He's so good, so nuanced, because Michael Douglas is so good at playing an asshole. He, he really is. He is. And he can play so many different flavors of that character. Mm-hmm. Between, you know, the really sarcastic, funny Indian Jones character to just being the, the kind of surly jerk guy or the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. But in this, it is the most subtle version of that because he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. But it takes a long time for you as a person watching the movie to definitively say, oh, yeah, he's a dick. Yeah, they do a good job. They they do like with like with the the caveat being that like yeah he did s- s- cheat on his wife but like he's not an awful dude. The movie the movie is trying especially the directing and then his performance is trying to make you empathize with him and be like okay look it's fucked up but you know things happen and mm-hmm. maybe you move past that you know but the longer it goes on. It's it's finally when he finally tells his wife mm-hmm. when they are now in lethal danger. Yeah. That you realize, oh, what a fucking shithead. Yeah. But the other side of it is you see him realizing that in real time. Yeah. How much he thought of himself as the good guy. Like, I'm not like the other attorneys. I'm not like the other guys who schmooze around. Yeah, we make jokes, but whatever. Like, he's built that up around himself, and suddenly he realized that that is the thing that Alex teaches him, Mm -hmm. is you are no better. (laughs) Yeah. Just because you have stuck by these rules and been a nicer guy does not make you any better than these jackasses. Mm -hmm. And and that unraveling is all him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's so good. It is. It's very good. 
Like, again, we know he's a good actor, but it's moments like this where you go like, fuck. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I didn't know a whole lot about this movie. I didn't know that we were going to get that from him. I thought we were just going to get usual Michael Douglas performance. That's fair. And it's, it's well beyond that. It's fantastic. We have one who could have been better mm. because, it's, you know, Douglas really was the first choice and the only choice to really get behind playing Dan. It's Christopher Reeve. I can understand why, but no. I would say this. Christopher Reeve was a good enough actor to pull it off mm-hmm. if he wanted to. But it would be real hard to get past Superman slowly realizing he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Douglas is a lot more believable. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the actual star. Okay. Glenn Close as Alex Forrest. Now, we have talked about Glenn Close before. We talked about her as her amazing supporting performance in The World According to Garp. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Glenn Close in this movie? Oh, she's amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. Lady Gaga gif. Amazing, <laughs> stupendous, talented, brilliant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not enough superlatives for this performance. She makes this movie substantial. Mm-hmm. This is a really weird role. Yeah. And a really difficult role, but only if you decide you're going to commit. It's not a hard role if you're going to treat it like a slasher movie and you're just going to play crazy. Yeah. She didn't do that. No, she 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 took this this woman very seriously and she didn't play crazy. Um, She plays desperate. Mm hmm. She's carefully considering what this woman is going through. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that she very well could be in the throes of some deep mental health episode. But Glenn really is approaching it from that's fine and all, but I have to play whatever motivation is in front of me, mm-hmm. which is just this man is everything. And if I cannot have him, I will burn the world to the ground. Yeah. And she has a lot of motivation to back up why she does that. Like, she really delved into this character in a way that nobody else thought about. Yeah. Which is why, you know, it became such a cultural touchstone, I think. Because the movie, the movie has that weird thing, like I said, of she's doing such a nuanced performance and she's putting a lot into it. The movie's got a really regressive view of all of it. So it makes for really interesting fodder to study (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, on the one hand, you see it happening, but then there's all this counterbalance. It was like, what is happening in this movie? (laughs) Yeah. And I think all that does is add to the tension. When her agent called to express that she was interested in this role, the production team said, quote, please don't make her come in. She's completely wrong for the part, unquote. I understand that impulse. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, up until this point, All of her characters had been like World According to Garp. Mm -hmm. They were like crunchy granola Earth Mother roles. She had three Oscar nominations coming Mm -hmm. into this movie based on that type of role. Yeah. So this is the exact opposite of her type. Yeah. (laughs) I think I've mentioned this before, but my first introduction into Glenn Close was Sarah Plain and Tall. With Christopher Walken, which is like a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Yeah, the Hallmark, like, Hall of Fame, whatever. Like, yeah, that was my introduction to her. So, like, and of course, I've seen many things she's been in since. and She's a brilliant actress, but it's just like, oh, this is when you basically told the world, don't fuck with me. 
Exactly. Like, and it's and it's wild to think about because it's like, well, you saw her in Sarah Plain and Tall. That's basically her actual type in the industry. No, and I, exactly. I get that. But like, she's also just such a chameleon. Oh, she's so good. Because, you know, let me tell you, when we learn that she's the pirate that goes in the boo box in Hook, blew my fucking mind. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Glenn Close can do anything. 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 And just this movie, she is so sexy and so frightening <laughs> all at the oh, same yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Um, Lynn thought Close was, quote, the last person on Earth who should play Alex. Um, which I'm glad they figured out they were wrong. But Glenn said this, quote, I just wanted a character that would demand more of me. I'd never played a character who was supposed to be sexy. I knew I could do it. They were so sure I was wrong. They didn't even want me to read because they were embarrassed, unquote. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally get, like, Glenn Close is a gorgeous woman, but she is not conventionally gorgeous. She's not she's not a supermodel. She's she's and that's who you instantly think of when you're reading this. That's what that's what most men are going to think. And that's fair, but when you look at this story, it is more unnerving that this woman be both of course she's sexy, but she has that every woman quality because that's what makes her feel dangerous. Mhm. That's the point. If she's fucking gorgeous, then you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. But oh no, this could be literally anyone. This could be the lady next door. Fuck. That's that's the part that that just creates a layer to what happens that makes it that much more suspenseful. Yeah, and it and it comes back to Adrian Lynn thought he was just making a thriller. He didn't realize until he got Glenn Close in, on camera mm-hmm. that he was like, I, I, I'm sure he realized, and I'm sure Glenn made the point of like, holy shit. Look at what they did. Mm-hmm. Look, look at how much deeper it went and how it resonated. And I mean, I would, I would be willing to bet the creative team didn't were like, well, whatever. It's Glenn Close, and you know she's fine. And then she's like, oh, she's giving pretty good performances. And then they saw the box office returns and were like, holy fuck, <laughs> yeah, these white dudes mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't know what was best for the movie. Yep. Uh, she had no idea what to do with her hair for the film. <laughs> Quote, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do about my hair. Put it up. Ponytail. Finally said, I'll let it go wild. The acting gods were with me. Unquote. That's awesome because her hair is quite wild. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just it, there's a manic quality to her hair, which is just perfect. Plays right into her. Mm-hmm. She stated that she had absolutely no issues with the nude scenes in the film saying they weren't exploitative, they served the story specifically. Absolutely, I love it. I appreciate, too, the casual nudity after they have sex feels so real. Yeah. And it's wild to think about, especially even in an 80s movie, because I think about something like Top Gun, where it's like, you see the top of a nipple, (laughs) and like that's it. So this is funny. So Joshua Jackson, who's playing Dan in the TV series, just did an interview, and I read a portion of it, and it was just like, they're talking about the nudity and in in their show, and he's just like, you know, nudity is just like not a big deal. It's like, but you know, oftentimes it doesn't make sense. You have two people who just like went at it, had the hottest sex of their life, and like this woman is like, oh no, let me cover my nipples. And his exact quote was like, I have never had hot sex where the, where the person I was with was then concerned about me seeing their nipples. And I was and like, 
I I instantly flash back to that scene in this movie where like like of course because they're just like damn that was great got to catch my breath it what it it was it was not exploitive it wasn't gratuitous it was like those people fucked and like the moment where she throws down the covers because she's like having a and she's starting she's not happy to lose it with, with what's him. happening yeah and she, she has no bra on her boobs are out but it doesn't matter because that's mm. how she would react yeah. And you're just like, it makes it so much more fucking real. Look, like I said, Adrian Lin's got some weird vibes going on, but he gets that part of it. Sure. That's something that our director does understand is like how people actually act during sex. Mm -hmm. Now, she has rethought the character a lot since the film. Mm -hmm. She has said in interviews that she did fear that the popularity of the movie may have contributed to mental health stigma. Okay. That's probably true. She claims that for years after making the movie, she was invited to speak at psychology seminars. Oh, interesting. To talk about the film and to talk about the character. Hmm. She said in an interview, I think around 2009, quote, I would read that script totally differently. The astounding thing was that in my research for Fatal Attraction, I talked to two psychiatrists. Never did a mental disorder come up. Never did the possibility of that come up. That, of course, would be the first thing I would think of now, unquote. Yeah. And one of the things that the psychiatrist she talked to mentioned, and I'm going to put a content warning on this. We'll put it in the notes because it's a it's a little rough what they suggest. Mm -hmm. But based on the case study, what the psychiatrists sort of conceived was that Alex at some point had been molested and possibly tortured as a child. Mm-hmm. And that the emotional pain that she might associate with sex and relationships would have provoked that extreme violent response. Mm-hmm. Now, 1987 psychiatrist talking. It's possible trauma could trigger a response like that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But also, we know a whole lot more about sometimes you just have like actual disorders that don't tie to stuff really horrible shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be very clear. I don't think that's I, I think that's what they thought because oh that's what the case studies suggest yeah i don't know guys it's not always how brains work mm-hmm. it's real different and i think she's absolutely right to think about like i would approach this character completely differently knowing what we know now mm-hmm. at some point i am i am very curious to go watch the new version and how they deal with that and i know that they deal with it a lot mm-hmm. but yeah it, it it is interesting she she worried about that you know, I, I like I say, I was like, I think it sort of did, but sort of didn't. Mm-hmm. I think you could read it as, well, these women are crazy. And I don't think that's the point of the movie. The point of the movie is like, look, if you fuck around, the emotional distress that you can cause can hurt a lot more than just you. Mm-hmm. And I know that it does it in a pretty morality tale kind of way. And this is the most extreme version of that. But it's really the truth, like, the emotional weight of this movie is very true. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are n- most likely not going to be, like, stalked by an obsessive person who may be willing to kill you. But all of the pain and suffering and guilt and other stuff that's involved with it, mm-hmm. not a good idea. <laughs> and I think the movie makes a pretty good case for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, According to Glenn, she still has the knife hanging in her kitchen. Oh, that's fun. Quote, it's beautiful, made of wooden paper. It's a work of art, and it's nice for our guests to see it. It lets them know when they can't stay forever, unquote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's nice. 
I love it. And then she did have some fun injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is super allergic to tobacco. For So for the few smoking scenes, the cigarettes were fake for her. Okay. Uh, but during the ending reshoots, again, I'm going to get there later, but they reshot the ending. She suffered a concussion during one of the takes of being slammed into the mirror. Mm-hmm. After getting rushed to the hospital, because they stopped immediately. Hey, that's good set etiquette. They were going at it, but... Somebody gets injured, boom, get her to the hospital. She found out and was terrified to find out she was a few weeks pregnant with her daughter. Mm. Also, after getting dunked into the bathwater so much, she had eye and ear infections. And she says to this day, she cannot watch that scene because she was like, I know I was putting my daughter at risk. Mm -hmm. Which, look, no, I, I don't think there's any allegations that anybody was doing anything wrong and it was an unsafe set. It's just... Holy shit, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, they were reshooting this well after they had done the initial round of shooting. Yeah, that's fair. So, woofa doofa. Mm-hmm. Who could have been better? Mm. Kirsty Alley. No. Now, the interesting thing about Kirsty is she was under consideration and as part of the discussions provided a tape of women who had stalked her husband, Parker Stevenson. Mm. In the tape, the woman begged him to be a part of his life, and they used those words in the script. Oh, interesting. Okay. Creepy, but okay. Sharon Stone. Yeah, I get it. Also, real funny, I always forget that Michael Douglas is in both Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct, (laughs) but not Fatal Instinct, because that was the the parody version. Yeah. Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. I get she that. was considered, but she signed on to Adventures in Babysitting instead. Good, because she also reads so much younger than a Michael Douglas that I don't think that works. It would have been a little creepy. It would have. And, and in Adventures in Babysitting, she's playing a high school student. So. Yeah. Or, or, or early college. She's very young. Sally Field. No. She turned it down for fear fans would not accept her playing an antagonist. Mm, I, I, could get on, I, I could get on board with her being an antagonist. That'd be great. But... Not in 1987. No, she still looked so sweet and innocent. That's what would make it fun. No, that would be great. But like if John Carpenter made this movie. Yes. If John Carpenter made this movie, I I could get on board with that because I would love to see him make her look like an imposing force. That and just like the horror movie aspect of she looks so sweet. Oh, fuck. No. Oh, no. She's nuts. (laughs) Gilda Radner. Oh, geez. I, you know, I could see that. Look, we have an image of Gilda in her Saturday Night Live comedy phase, right? Mm-hmm. What if you really did her up, though, and then let her attack the character? I don't know. I want to see a screen test. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Casually mentioning it on Letterman one time and then subtly confirming that she auditioned, Emma Thompson. Oh, Emma could totally do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just have her be British. It doesn't matter. I, I saw an, an interview where uh, Hugh Grant was there. They were kind of running through like what actresses thought of Hugh Grant because he can be very difficult. And he's like, oh, she's an absolute loon. They love her. She's amazing. <laughs> that woman is crazy in the best way. <laughs> Diana Ross. No. No. Not a bad actress, but not no. right for this. Faye Dunaway. Yeah, I could see it. Oh, really? Yeah, I could. Coming off of Mommy Dearest? I mean, here's the thing. If she'd done Mommy Dearest and then she'd done something like this, she probably would have been okay. 
Mm. Mia Farrow. No. She's too doe-eyed. Mm-hmm. Angelica Houston. Yes. All day long. I mean, let's be clear. I do not want to replace Glenn, but Angelica Houston, would. we would have not missed a beat with her. Glenn is always our first choice. I'm just sure. looking at, could they do it? Mm-hmm. Barbara Hershey. Nah. Miranda Richardson. Maybe. I haven't, I honestly, I don't know enough of her work to really be able to judge that one. Deborah Winger. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that would have been a slam dunk for her. So good, right? <laughs> and finally, because she was a friend of the director, Tracy Ullman. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Look, Tracy's a total chameleon comedian person, so she can like come up with a character in two seconds. You'd have to you'd have to find an angle for that. Mm-hmm. It would have to be very different than the Glenn Close sexy with an edge character. Yeah. But maybe. Whatever. We got Glenn fucking close. And so finally, we need to talk about our other main actress, Anne Archer, playing Beth Gallagher. Now, before this, she did mostly television and then a bunch of random B-movies, but after this, she becomes the wife of Jack Ryan in Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. She's also in The Art of War, Ghost of Girlfriend's Past, and she was recently in The Dropout. Okay. What do we think of Anne Archer in this movie? Oh, she's great. You think you're just going to get the very plain wife character. Mm-hmm. And then it unravels. Mm-hmm. And that's when she gets her moment to shine. Yeah, she's so good. She's she's so great at like just just being the wife. And like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, she wants this thing. And I, I think that was one thing they did really good. Is like she's asking for a house and he's really worried about it. And then the second he knows he's done bad and it could unravel on him. Like it's, it's after he finds out that Alex is pregnant. He says yes to the house. <laughs> um. It's great. And she plays it so well. And they do I do think they do a really good job of making her not making her like a nagging wife. Like not giving her not making her appear in any way that would cause be like, oh well that's the reason he stepped out on her. No. She's a great mom. She's a great wife. She's doing her thing. And then you think you know, it'd be so easy for her to be like, fuck off. I like you cheated on me, done. And just, you're we're we're not gonna let this woman destroy everything. I appreciate that the movie makes the point. It's like, look, infidelity, sometimes it really doesn't have a reason. Yeah. Because it's honestly often real illogical. You're just like, shit, I'm in this situation and she's really fucking hot and fuck it. And Mm -hmm. you don't think through it. And I think that's perfect. Yeah. It's especially perfect because, again, the tension has to be centered around Alex. For a good thriller, the tension can't be driven by you know, all these different harangues and things that are around him. Mm-hmm. His life needs to be perfectly fine. A- and this figure enters and all of a sudden he makes this really shitty decision mm-hmm. that is not based on any real logic other than I'm um, horny. Yeah, it gave me so many callbacks to some like it hot, like honestly. <laughs> Which was great, like great movie. I was like, it's just because you, you could. Exactly. But I mean, she she really does. And then, like I said, where you get to see her flip on a dime and see that, like, I'm fucking resolved to be like, this woman's not going to destroy my family, mm-hmm. including at least the way this version of the movie presents it, my marriage, mm. which is interesting. And look, no shade to whatever anybody decides in that moment. Some people don't ever 
some people don't want to fix it. Some people do, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, whatever you decide you want to work out. But I, I think that's really more of it as she's resolved. It's like she's now threatening all of us. And that's not fucking cool. And especially yeah. not my fucking kid, <laughs> which I appreciate. Tough mama bears. Always fun to watch. All right. We have three who could have been betters here. Okay. Andy McDowell. Uh, maybe. I think with this kind of role, I think it would have been really interesting to see her stretch in that way. Mm-hmm. Outside of just the typical romance interest, which is what she usually got roles in. You know what? She could have also been a pretty good Alex. Probably. Yep. Would have been interesting. Bonnie Bedelia. <laughs> uh, maybe. Mrs. John McClane. Yeah, maybe. Just saying. She's great. I said maybe. And finally, Cynthia Rhodes, Penny from Dirty Dancing. Um, okay. Hmm. I don't really have any strong feelings either way. That's fair. All right, that moves us into our pawns. Random people of note. Ellen Latson playing Ellen Gallagher. She is the child actress who played Ruby Sue in Christmas Vacation. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Ellen Foley playing Hildy. She was in Night Court and was appeared in Tootsie. Mm. Fred Gwynn playing Arthur. He is, of course, Herman Munster, the judge in My Cousin Vinny. His part was apparently much bigger in the original cut of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a whole subplot about, you know, Michael Douglas's character making partner, but they had to cut it for time. So we just get one moment with him. Lois Smith as Martha. Uh, we saw her in Fried Green Tomatoes and Minority Report. She is like, she's that lady who always plays like the older woman. But in Minority Report, she was the one who gives him all the information in the in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. You know her when you see her. She is a that lady. Okay. Mike Nussbaum playing Bob Drimmer. He played Pop Tate in the 1990 television special Archie to Riverdale and back again. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> we can never um, a thing it. we still have not watched, but oh, God. Yeah. As the babysitter, Jane Krakowski. Yeah, that was bizarre because she sounds and looks almost the exact same. Uh-huh. It's, it's Jenna. It's Jenna Baloney. Jackie Jorp Jump. Mm-hmm. I'm never not going to think of her as Jenna Maroney. Never. <laughs> James Eckhouse as man in Japanese restaurant. He played Jim Walsh, Brandon and Brenda's dad, on Beverly Hills 90210. Mm-hmm. And finally, Antone Pagan as a salsa dancer. Uh, he was one of the staff kids in Dirty Dancing and played Hector in Stripes. Mm-hmm. Awards. Oh, awards? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. This movie was nominated for six Academy Awards. Whoa, okay. Best editing. Okay. Best adapted screenplay. Okay. Best Supporting Actress for Anne Archer. Okay. Best Actress for Glenn Close. Sure. Best Director. All right. And Best Picture. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Look, when you make a very grown-up movie for not a lot of money. And it does this well. And it's a real quality thriller. Mm-hmm. Academy perks up. Mm-hmm. It was a big fucking deal. So it, uh, I mean, it, it's getting some prestigious nomination territory here, and it's a very fucking good movie. I'm not mad about most of these, mm-hmm. honestly, these, honestly. I mean, I don't know. They're probably better directors. Let's be honest. All right, trivia. Trivia. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about the original ending because the original ending of the film 
has Alex committing suicide dressed in the white dress. Mm-hmm. Dan is then arrested for her murder. So it's a very Gone Girl type of ending. Okay, that that's clearly what they're going to use as, as the framework for the TV series. But the idea is she commits suicide and she leaves. But before she does, the whole thing shows her wiping her hands on or getting his prints on everything, leaving yeah. all his trail of evidence. Yeah, I, I do like that idea. Right? Yeah, because like Gone Girl, like I read the book. I'm just going to say this about Gone Girl. If you haven't read the book, you haven't seen the movie. When I read that book, the way it ended pissed me the fuck off. I, I, I was reading on my phone and I wanted to throw my phone. When we saw the movie, I, I knew what the ending was going to be. I was like, I wonder if they'll do the same thing. They did the same thing. And I was like, oh, now seeing it play out on film, that's the only way it could end. It's genius. It is genius. I was wrong. <laughs> I, lo- I, I like that concept because it worked great in um, Gone Girl. Um, but I like how this works, too. It's okay. I just, you know, Close put it as the original ending was a gorgeous piece of film noir in that he knows he didn't do it, but he has to go to jail anyway. Mm-hmm. But they tested it, and audiences were just like, boo, because mm-hmm. it's 1987. Look, I love this kind of ending. I think it would be like, oh, but it is what it is. And the problem was, now they have to reshoot it. Mm-hmm. It got some real bad reactions. Okay. Now, Lynn wasn't a fan. Lynn was like, look, we made a great ending. I don't know why we have to fix this. And then apparently an executive offered him another $1.5 million in his fee. Yeah. And Adrian Lynn's like, money fucking talks. I don't care anymore. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> Ann Archer was reportedly flabbergasted and immediately reduced to tears, finding out that they were going to do this. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Close was staunchly opposed. As okay. soon as they contacted her, she refused to participate. Good for her. According to Sherry Lansing, she, quote, felt sympathy for Alex, a woman battling mental illness and fiercely resisted cliches about another female psycho. Now, Michael Douglas, and I'm sure some of this is his own, you know, 1987 male attitudes, but I also think this is just his producer brain mm-hmm. being like, look at the test audiences hate it. We need to change it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think, honestly, like, everything I hear about him, I'm like, I think it's just his producer and him talking, being like, no, we should do this. Like, what do we do to fix it? Well, not necessarily anything. Right. But from his perspective, it's like, if nobody's going to buy it and it's testing bad and we make this change, I think it'll help the movie. And that caused him and Glenn Close to fight tooth and nail about this. Mm. They argued a lot about this. And eventually, the only person who was able to talk Glenn Close back into doing this was her close friend, William Hurt, Mm. which that's its own problematic story. But, you know, she had to talk to somebody she really, really like felt deeply in a connection and respect with to be like, it's too good a story not to go through with this and get the movie done. (laughs) Because I think at the end of the day, when you look at this, you go. Look, I agree, but also I don't think they will release this movie if they don't do the reshoot. Mm-hmm. And so it's really unfortunate because it's it's one of those things where everybody involved was like, "No, nah, we shouldn't have done this." Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the things Lynn quoted later when he was talking about things was like he really hated the way that the bathtub scene looked. It's like they they put contacts in her eyes to make them like they're rolling back as she's drowning. And he was like, it just looks so terrible. Yeah. And I think everybody was just like, 
man, we had the perfect ending. Why did we do that? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a shame. I Like I said, I wish they trusted their gut enough on it because I think it really would have still blown everybody away. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, they made the decision they made and we got the ending we got. The apartment used for the Gallaghers is the same that Adrian Lynn used in nine and a half weeks. Okay. Which is very much a sex movie. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the only way to get Ellen to cry during the fight between her parents was for Michael Douglas to stand behind the camera and sweetly but nastily bully her. He stood behind the camera as she held the unicorn and threatened to take it away from her, saying, and I'm going to do my best Michael Douglas impression, look at that stupid unicorn, I'm going to throw it in the garbage. So she started to cry and held the unicorn tighter, which is the shot we see. The second Lynn yelled cut, Douglas immediately ran to her, apologized, hugged her, and told her he was only kidding. (laughs) You should have presented her a giant unicorn that is so fluffy she could die. In a later interview, Douglas, quote, I felt pretty guilty, but she gotta do what she gotta do, No, you you don't. (laughs) You don't. You don't have to do any of that. No, you don't. You don't. Like, I get, like, saying it, but you talk to the kid and be like, okay, I need you to act this way. And so I'm going to act this way, and I want you to react to it as though I really meant it. Yes. Like, you like you need to give the kid the parameter. Like, I get, like, sometimes you have to say things, but you need to, like, set the, like, we're putting on our pretend, we're in pretend mode. Like, oh, I, just, I hate that. I hate that. I know. I'm not canceling Michael Douglas forever over it, but it's like, oh, man. I'm giving you a serious side eye. That wasn't good. Again, hopefully he gave her like five more unicorns later. Deserved. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the dead rabbit in the pot was real. Ew. It was obtained from a local butcher, so it was already dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and they got it before he had gotten to skin it to set up the meat. Mm Mm-hmm. Archer's reaction to the stove is very real because the boiling water was making the kitchen smell of dead rabbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's terrifying, but also works. Yeah. Because I didn't even think about that, but you see her, it's the thing of, and, and it was so funny because I kept being like, oh yeah, she kills the rabbit. And I was like, wait, no, she cooks the rabbit. Oh fuck, I forgot. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so much deeper and weirder than you think. But it is interesting that like she walks in and normally when you walk into that scene, you would just kind of walk. If it's if it's a horror movie, they just walk in unassuming and open the pot. And oh, my God. But no, you see all the moments of her being like, what is that smell? Mm -hmm. And it's like that makes it so much more real. Yeah. While taking a break from filming the fight scene in Alex's apartment, Close took her dog Gabby on a walk around the apartment complex where they were filming. Glenn Close wearing the white dress that she has in that scene and covered in dirt and sweat, her hair completely unkempt, noticed three girls approaching on the street. Mm-hmm. She um, got real geared up because she saw the looks on their faces and she assumed that they were looking at her like, oh God, she'd just been mugged and what's going on. So she was about to be like, no, 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 we're shooting a movie. It's all good. And the girls completely ignored her and went to pet her dog mm-hmm. because of course they did. In 1988, during the film's release in South Korea, South Korean filmmakers released snakes through smoke grenades and other protests in the theater uh, against their feeling of Hollywood's invasion into the Korean film industry. Okay. 
I don't know why this was the movie they chose, but apparently that was the deal. My guess is that it was very uh, popular. So, hmm. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't I don't know anything about that. Just issue. So trivia. Okay. Glenn Close graduated from Rosemary Hall, an all girls boarding school. While Michael Douglas graduated from Choate School, an all boys boarding school. Those schools later combined into a single co-ed school, Shote Rosemary Hall. Hmm. And finally, according to Glenn, people will still come up to her and tell her about this movie. Thanks, you saved my marriage. Um, it's kind of <laughs> weird. Like, I'm not, not going to lie. It's kind of weird. Whatever works, I guess. Yeah, ratings. I guess so. Ratings. For every movie, we have a specific ratings system for this movie. I mean, we can't do Boiling Rabbits, can we? We can just do bunnies. Oh, sweet bunny. Sweet, bunny. sweet, sweet bun. Let's do fluffy unicorns because Ellen deserves all the unicorns. Fluffy unicorns. Yeah. Except this. <laughs> the darkest movie with the fluffiest unicorn. I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Four. Four. Solid four. It is hampered by a lot of weirdness and, you know, just age. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite hold up to the standard we have. But everything's so rock solid. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies where it's like nothing's maybe nothing's particularly groundbreaking, but as mm-hmm. everything comes together, you're like, this is such a good movie. Yeah, and why it's one of the new classics in that way. You're never bored in this movie. No, they made a really great thriller that has some really interesting questions that pop up from it. Mm-hmm. Nobody involved other than Glenn Close, I think, had an idea of how to like enhance that. But okay. solid four. Great flick. Go watch it. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I think I agree that it's it's a four. Um, yeah, it just it it's it's a little bit of a victim of its time. You know, could be a little more, I don't know, progressive with its ladies, but you know, that's not surprising. Thoughtful. Thoughtful, yeah, that's that's the word. A little more thoughtful with the lady. There's a few places where you could have a little bit more nuance, but it's a solid story, and I enjoyed watching it. So it's yeah, four. I'm good with a four. Sweet relief after Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, and Never Ending Story. I mean, those movies were uh, movies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you know what? We got Ellen a total of eight unicorns. So there you go. There you go. Eight unicorns for Ellen. There has been justice. All right. Well, now we're going from one story of New York to another completely different one. Okay. And a movie that I know you have been bugging me to watch forever. Okay. So here we go. We're watching Working Girl. Oh, nice. I, I, I've never seen the full, like, unedited version. I've only seen the TV version. But I know it's good, and I liked it. <laughs> like the bits I've seen, I know I liked. So yeah. You know what I know of Working Girl? Oh yes, I do because we sing this constantly. Work hard or die trying, girl. I know. Until next time. Have a good movie. Oh